0: All right, we'll be in Acts chapter 7 today. Acts chapter 7. I don't think that we do, but do we have any veterans in the service? Okay, I didn't think so. Um, don't forget, tomorrow's Veterans Day. Thank a veteran. It's not Memorial Day, it's Veterans Day. Veterans get a little rightfully perturbed by that. So make sure if you wish someone a happy Veterans Day, you do it correctly. All right. If you don't know what I mean by that, then Google the difference. And then you'll be prepared for it. Um, But we are thankful. We live in a country that is um, free. And part of the reason it's free is because of our veterans. And uh, I know many veterans who never saw um, battle, but they were willing if it was necessary. And uh, so don't think lightly of those that didn't see battle either, because they were willing to go if it was necessary. And, uh, and so make sure you wish the veterans in your life a happy Veterans Day tomorrow. Thank them uh, for their service, and, uh, and I know they will uh, appreciate that. I was noticing on Friday we went. Me and Camden got to go to the basketball game on Friday, and uh, I just noticed as we were walking to the game from the parking, this dark alley that we parked in, walking to the game from there, and then walking back to the parking afterwards. All the police officers that were out there doing very, um, not meaningless, but very thankless jobs, and uh, and you know there are so many people that serve our country and our community that we oftentimes fail just to say thank you to. And, uh, and I know it helps them, it doesn't warm them up on cold nights. Um, it doesn't uh, make the things that they saw the night before go away, but it does help them if we'll just simply just say thank you. And the same is true with our veterans. If we'll just say thank you to them, um, let them know, hey, we know that you served and we're thankful for it. Uh, it, it really is a help. Uh, so make sure you do that uh, tomorrow. Uh, on Veterans Day. Um, we've got a few people who who occasionally attend the service that were veterans, but uh, um, nonetheless, I didn't think we had anybody today that was uh, in that case. Let's, we're in Acts chapter 7. Today I'd like to look at the question, what if? You ever asked that question before? What if? What if this had happened or what if that had happened? What if that player wouldn't have tried to catch that onside kick? We Could have went to the Super Bowl. That was 2014, by the way. Um, What if? What what if? We ask that sometimes in life and uh, thinking about how different things could have been. And uh, I want us to look at that question today in the story of Stephen and learn three things or be reminded of three things today. Uh, of what if in Acts chapter seven, let's read in verse starting in verse forty-eight. Uh, Stephen is giving a speech. I, I might even call it a sermon, but I'm um, giving a speech, and he's talking. He basically goes through an, an Old Testament recap um, of Israel and Jeru- uh, of the Israelites, and and all these different things going through this chapter. But in verse forty-eight, he says, "Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophets." He's speaking to a religious crew. He's speaking to leaders, different people here. Um, Stephen is. And so he says in verse 49 Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord? And what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? Now, Stephen goes from quoting the Lord into speaking to his audience in verse 51. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the Just One, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And he witnessed... Excuse me and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the young man's feet whose name was Saul and they stoned Stephen calling upon God and saying Lord Jesus receive my spirit and he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice Lord lay not this sin to their charge and when he had said this he fell asleep I want to look at three different what if questions this morning at this passage is a powerful passage and uh and we see Stephen here and, and who he truly was, who was, where his heart was in this uh, situation as he was proclaiming a, a dangerous message uh, with a, a, an outcome that most preachers would not like. And we see here, though, three things I think we can learn from just these verses that we read today. Lord, I pray for your help as we look into your Word. God, as we have these verses in this passage in this story of Stephen and those who killed him, Lord, I pray that you would help us today to learn from this passage important lessons uh, from these verses that can help us to grow and to be more of what we ought to be for you. Help me as I present this that I would do it clearly and correctly, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Like I said, in the first number of verses in Acts chapter 7, he's going through the history of the Israelites. He goes through Moses and... Uh, uh, Jacob. He goes through uh, Abraham. He goes through Joseph. He goes through uh, all these different people and all the different things that God did uh, in in and through these people and for these people. And then he comes towards the end of his speech um, and where he talks about Solomon in verse 30, 47. Solomon built him a house, the temple that Solomon built uh, and, and all of that. And then he comes down to this question, how be it The Most High dwelleth not in temples, as the prophets say. He's not in the building, uh, as what has been taught, but he is in heaven. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord, and what is the place of my rest? And then he asks a very simple question. Hath not my hand made all these things? So the people here listening are listening to this speech by Stephen, and then he he goes into that afterwards. He comes out and starts name-calling. And he says, "Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and hardened ears. How do you think you would react to that? Um, have you ever been called a name by someone you didn't expect to be called a name by? Uh, my mom called me a name once, and I remember thinking, I don't think we're supposed to say that. Um, uh, and uh, my wife has called me names before and all of it's been warranted Um, honk hot stuff you know that kind of stuff Um, (laughs) another story for another day Um, (laughs) he calls them stiff necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears and then he says ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did So do ye. So he goes to multiple levels here in talking to these people. He calls them names, stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and in ears. And then he says, you resist the Holy Ghost just like your dad did. Just like your granddad did. And a lot of times we can put up with people saying something about us, but as soon as family's brought into it, there's a switch that flips. And we say, oh, no, no, no. No, you don't talk about my dad. Right, you don't talk about my family. He goes into this and saying that not just you, not only do you resist the Holy Ghost in the message that God wants you to receive, you're rejecting it, you're denying it, you're not accepting these things, but you're not the only ones. Your fathers did the same thing. And in verse 52, he says, What of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? For throughout history, there has been this consistent rejection of God. Rejection of the message of God. You know, we look at Jonah. Jonah preached to Nineveh. What did Nineveh do? They accepted. They heard the message. They repented of their sin. They accepted. Those were wicked, godless people. Yet, Israel had many times been given the message, and had oftentimes, we look through it in the Old Testament all the time, had rejected the message. We see it in Judges. We see it in Jeremiah. We see it in, I think, Ezekiel. We see it in Isaiah, I believe. We see it in all kinds of different books of the Bible where people just consistently rejected what God's message was for them. And so he says, this has been a consistent problem. You have not kept uh, the law that has been given to you. So that brings me to my first question. What if we already know everything? The reason why people, these people were rejecting the message of God is because they already knew everything. They didn't need that. We already have in place what we want, what we like. We know everything we need to know. We don't need anything else. So I asked the question, what if you already know everything? If you already know everything, you can fall under the category of stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears. All of a sudden, because we know everything... We aren't accepting the message that God gives to us. Stiff-necked is the simple idea of unsubmissive or stubborn. Uh, it's used with the oxen and their rejection of the yoke and, and uh, putting on the, the harness and things like that. This, this, this uh, unwillingness to move, unwillingness to submit. Uh, they're uncircumcised in heart and ears. This is a, a, a big-time dig here by Stephen. Uh, the circumcision is a symbol that is, that is given. And so saying that they are uncircumcised in heart and ears, meaning that their, their heart was not willing to acknowledge the law of God. Their hearts were not submitting uh, to God's way, but they were submitting to their own affections, to their own desires. Uncircumcised in their ears, unwilling to hear, unwilling to listen, unwilling to learn is what he's saying here. So if we already know everything, we're going to fall under that category of stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears. Then he goes on to say, you always resist the Holy Ghost. If you already know everything, you're going to resist when God speaks. You're going to oppose God. God's going to say, I want you to do this. Well, I already know everything, God. So even though you're telling me to do this, I'm going to resist it. I think of our missionaries, The Ways. And I remember when Chris and Sherry went to Thailand. They had been in London, and now we're transitioning their ministry to Thailand. And I remember getting the email from Chris saying, um, I mistook a burden for a calling, and we we need to go back to London. They'd been in Thailand for a year learning language and and preparing. You know, there would be many people who would hear God saying, you're not supposed to be here. You're supposed to go somewhere else. And it would not be hard for him to to have said, well, we spent a lot of money. We raised support. We've told all the people who are sending us support that we're supposed to be in Thailand. Well, I think we should just stay here. But I'm thankful that Chris did not do that, that he followed God's leading, and he went back to London where God wanted him. If we already know everything, we're going to resist the Holy Ghost. Meaning we're not going to obey God when He tells us to do something. Uh, A message was given to Moses. A message was given to the prophets. A message was given through Christ Himself teaching and preaching and passed on to the people uh, there. And now Paul and the apostles were, were preaching the same message that Moses preached the same message the slight variation because Christ had come and was crucified and risen again but uh, But nonetheless the same message that Moses the same message that the prophets the same message that Christ preached now is being preached by the apostles And yet they are still rejecting the message They're still resisting the message the same way their fathers rejected Moses the prophets and they rejected Christ Why because they already knew everything? So what if you already know everything? Well, I was taught this as a kid and no one can change my mind. <laughs> I'm all for being strong in your beliefs. I, I hate it to see when Christians are wavering and battling and I don't know what I believe. And that's a, that's a scary place to be. But if our mindset is, is, this is what I was told and I ain't changing... Well, what if the Holy Spirit says change? It can be over the smallest of things. Well, I don't know. I mean, since I was a baby, I was always told this. (laughs) Well, you know what I've learned? Personal experience is sometimes people are wrong. (laughs) What? Um, (laughs) It's true. What if God is trying change? To share with you something, but you already know it all. You resist. One preacher said, I saw this recently, he said, and some of this is good advice, teach people to sit up front, he's talking about church, teach people to sit up front, to smile, shake hands with guests, to sing out. Teach them to say amen. Teach them to go to the altar on the first stanza of the invitation. I read that and it scared me and here's why um, I really don't care if you sit up front to be honest with you um, then you get really close to me and I get nervous uh, so I don't really care it's just it is what it is had an uh, assistant pastor in Indiana preached for me when I was gone one week and an old man uh, came up to me when I came back and he said he said I'm glad you're back I said oh thank you he said Pastor Chris made us move forward in the service we had to sit closer he said, I can't sit in those pews. They hurt my back. We had chairs in the back and pews in the front. Um, I don't care where you sit, as long as you're here. All right? Uh, but I understand what he's saying. Teach people to sit up front. Smile. Hey, that's a good thing, right? We should smile. Shake hands of guests. That's Yeah, we should definitely do uh, that. Sing out. I think you should sing out. Maybe some, not as much as you do, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. Sing out. That's good. Teach them to say amen. Now, I was raised differently. I was raised that you say amen when you feel like you're supposed to say amen. Don't just say it to say it. It's, a, it's an affirmation. It's a, I agree with you. It's a, that's, that's right. Amen. Our, our church doesn't do that very often, which is fine. Uh, then he says, go to the altar on the first stands of the invitation. I was always taught that you go forward when you feel like God wants you to go forward. And there are sermons that I slept through. There was no reason for me to go forward. There were sermons that didn't convict me of anything. And so I didn't go forward. You know, we don't come forward really ever. And this church is not ideal in this situation. But what we get is this this philosophy that's that's being taught to people. That's being told, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. and And after a generation or two, all of a sudden it becomes, we assume it's Bible. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And it's not. And someone says, well, what did you come forward for? Well, I mean, piano started playing. I <laughs> us to go forward to the first stanza. Well, what for? I uh, just, you know. <laughs> What's the point? Sometimes we do what we do because we know, if you're listening to the, to the recording of this, I just used finger parentheses, we know that Uh, That's what we're supposed to do. So that's why we do it. And then when God says, Don't do this. Well, no, it's all right, God. I was told I was supposed to do this. (laughs) Do this. Well, no, no, God. I was told I wasn't supposed to do that. We already know it all. What if you already know everything? You'll become stiff-necked. You'll become stubborn. You'll resist the Holy Ghost. And you'll miss out on what God has available for you. Question number two. What if people reject my message? What if I go out and share the gospel with people and people reject my message? Look in verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. I've heard people, we talked about this in men's Sunday school this morning, I've heard people say this means they were convicted. No, it doesn't. It means they were angry. They were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. It's it's a sign of of bitter anger. Of intense anger that came. What happens if I speak the truth of the Bible to someone and they respond with anger? What if they reject my message? What if they're not nice to me after I share the message of of the Bible with them? John 16, 33 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. The last part of the verse says, In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. God says you're going to have tribulation. It's going to happen. 1 Timothy, or excuse me, 2 Timothy 3, verse 12 says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you live the way God intends you to live, which means you're fulfilling the Great Commission, which means you're sharing a message with people, guess what? You're going to face persecution. It may not be the persecution that the Tulsans face in China. It may not be the persecution that, that the martyrs faced in in early history, but you're gonna face some persecution. I highly doubt that there will ever come a time in America in our lifetime where we're being burned at the stake for for sharing the Bible. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I would be very surprised. Um, The persecution we face in America is different, but it's still persecution, and it's going to come. Turn with me to John chapter uh, 15. You can hold your place in Acts. We'll be right back here. But John chapter 15. uh, Verse number 18. John 15 verse 18. It says, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world... But I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept me saying, they will keep keep my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my sake, for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. God's saying that if we are faithful and obeying him, we're going to be hated by the world. It says in verse number 19 again, if you are of the world, the world will love his own. This is why I question, this is off topic. um, This is why I question uh, some churches. If the world loves your church, are you really doing it right? Again, there's a difference between being kind and loving to people and the world going, hey, this is a great place to be. I've always believed that if you're going to church and you're in sin, you should leave church either having gotten it taken care of or feeling really bad. Because when we sit under Bible preaching and we're living incorrectly, God convicts us of that And if we don't get it taken care of, it begins to weigh on us. And so that's why I question sometimes if a world just goes, this is a great church, and the entire world loves it. I go, well, the Bible says that if you're of the world, the world will love you. That's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day. But what if people reject my message? Well, guess what they're going to. (laughs) It's not a what if, it's a when. When they reject my message, then what? It's important to remember that the world hates God. It's not personal uh, to you, whether you think it is or not, it isn't. We read Paul, uh, where Paul just talks about different things and his willingness to suffer and his joy in suffering and his understanding that I'm suffering because of, of what I'm saying, because I'm preaching a message that God wants me to preach And they're not mad at me, they're mad at God. I'm just the vessel that God's using. But the result of of sharing a message is going to be rejection. People are going to reject your message. If they wouldn't, then Lexington would already have no need for churches. We can talk to someone about the gospel and and sadly, uh, many times, they're going to reject it. The Bible says wide is the gate where most of the world flows through. But the way of God and the way of salvation is narrow. And few there be that find it. The, the likelihood, or it's, it is real, that you're going to face rejection when you share a message of Christ. Sometimes we share a message with the same person over and over and over and over and over and over again and we pray 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 and And sometimes at the end of their life they finally understand the need that they have. The result of sharing the message is often going to be rejection. In Stephen's case, he shared a message and boy did it get rejected. (laughs) It says that they, uh, they were cut to the heart, gnashed on him with their teeth, and then they stoned him. I don't know if you've ever looked into what that means, but when you're stoning someone, you're taking not rocks, but large stones with the purpose of killing them, throwing them on them. And you imagine how wicked our world is today. It hasn't changed that much. You know there are people there who thought, don't hit them in the head first. Make it hurt. It's vicious and vile. Our world's the same today. We just do it with, oftentimes, verbal stones instead of physical stones. And they'll find you on social media and they'll attack you there. They'll, uh, your coworkers will attack you there in subtle backhanded ways. The world's going to reject it. We, we know that for a fact. Now, not everybody will reject it. But a lot of people will. So what if I know everything? Well, if I know everything, I can just consider myself stubborn. I'm not going to learn anything, and I will resist the Holy Ghost. Well, what if people reject my message? It's going to happen. It's not a what if. It's a when. That brings us to our last point. What if I pray for people? 1 Timothy 2, 1 says, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 says, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. In Acts chapter 7, In verse number 60, Stephen kneeled down and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Two verses earlier, we're told that there's a man holding the clothes of the people stoning Stephen. His name was Saul. What happens if I pray for people? In verse 58, we're introduced to Saul of Tarsus, an evil man, a man who killed Christians, a man who imprisoned Christians, a man who wronged Christians, a man who sought out for a good portion of his career to destroy anything to do with God. Two verses after we are introduced to Saul, we see a man, Stephen, who is being murdered praying. Lay not this sin to their charge. We live in a time where we want to get back at people, where we feel wronged and we feel like we've got to be defensive and we've got to stand up and shout and Holler and stand our ground and those kinds of things. And there is a time to fight. The Bible tells us. But we see Stephen in this situation, in a situation I pray I'm never in. He says, "Lay not this sin to their charge." He prays for Saul. Well, what is the result of that prayer? Saul goes on. He's converted on a trip. He goes on to preach the gospel to thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people. He starts churches. He helps churches. He helps them get established. He helps them um, recover from fighting within helps them with doctrinal issues where there's sin going on in the church that could destroy the church and and Paul was there to help and straighten things out and get them right back on track and get them back to doing what was important why so that they could go forward and reach more people Paul trained preachers. He brought people alongside of him and taught them how to minister, how to help churches, how to preach. God used Paul to pen a number of books in the Bible. The same guy who collected coats for the men who were throwing stones at Stephen. What if we just pray for people? Sometimes we feel like politicians are throwing stones at us. What if we just pray for them? Sometimes we feel like our family members are throwing stones at us. What if we just pray for them? Sometimes we feel like our coworkers are throwing stones at us. What if we just pray for them? God, strike them dead. God, bankrupt them. God, make them miserable. It's not what Stephen did. Lord, lay not the sin to their charge. Who should have you prayed for that you didn't? Oftentimes, the results of our prayers when we're praying for the gospel, we don't always know how it ends up. A man in our church in Indiana is a faithful uh, track giver. Hands out tracks all the time. He works on equipment, and every uh, uh, he works on equipment at a coal mine, he replaces windshields for their equipment. And every windshield he replaces, he leaves a track in the front seat of the tractor or the truck that he's working on. And he prays for it, and he leaves. There is no telling how many people picked up the track, read it, saw their need for the gospel receive Christ. There are some, because years later, hey, are you the guy who puts those little booklets in the the trucks? Yes? Hey, I want to let you know, I, I got one a few years back. I read it and I trusted Christ. The reality is, is there's so many people in this world that we have seconds with. And yet many times we look at them in fear. We look at them in anger. We look at them in frustration. Why not pray for them? What if instead of being bitter at people, we prayed for them? What if instead of arguing with people, we prayed for them? the result would be vastly different than what it is today. What if I know everything? I ain't gonna learn much. (laughs) There's sadly so much that we don't get we don't receive the knowledge, the wisdom that we don't have because we already know it all. What if people reject my message? Well, they're going to. What if I pray for people? Maybe. Just maybe. The people I pray for, God will use to reach thousands of people for Him. Thousands of people that I can't reach. That I'll never see. Do you believe God can save the most wicked person in Kentucky? I do. You believe God can save the most wicked man in America? I I do. You believe God can save the most wicked man in North Korea? I do. So what if we just pray for people? Lord, help us. We're selfish at heart. We don't like it when people wrong us. We we get up in arms and defensive and, and angry. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to develop into the person that you want us to be. Lord, I pray that first of all, you'd help us to be humble, to understand that we don't know everything, to understand who can help us to learn. May we not ever resist you, but God fully follow you. Lord, I pray that when trials come as a result of our uh, godliness, of us, our obedience to you, God, that we would not run in fear, that we would not stop. Lord, that we would know it's a great privilege and that we'd continue on. And God, I, I know that we oftentimes fail in our reaction to people. Now I look at Stephen and his willingness to notice, even in his last seconds, that you still love these people. God, help us to pray for people. Help us to pray for those we disagree with. Help us to pray for those that um, are hateful to us. Help us to pray for all men. To be faithful and truly caring enough to pray for people. God, I pray that you would grow us in these areas of faith and obedience. God, that we would we'll never see, oftentimes, what you see in people, the, the potential, so to say. When Stephen was praying, I, I doubt he had any clue who Saul was and, and what he would go on to do. But Lord, to know that you can change any life, Change any wicked man, any wicked woman to someone who brings great honor and glory to you. God, may that motivate us to be more faithful in our prayers and that we'll pray for people the way that we're supposed to. Help us to be individuals and a church that prays for people, that loves them. A group of people that are humble and always striving to learn and people who are proud to serve the one true God, no matter the tribulations and the persecution that it brings. Help us, Lord, to simply be what we ought to be. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, we'll not have an invitation time. I want to ask this one question, though, if I may. I won't even ask you to raise your hand. I'm not looking. Who have you not prayed for? that you need to pray for. If God's put a person on your heart today, pray for them right now. There are too many people, too many Christians in this world that carry around bitterness. And you cannot live a successful Christian life if you're carrying bitterness in your heart. Pray for them. They have not done to you what Saul did to Stephen pray for them. God help us. We desperately, desperately need your help. And Lord, we'll give you all the praise, all the honor, all the glory for what you do in our lives and what you do through our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, let's get ready and set up for lunch. And once everything is ready to go, we will pray and we will eat.